0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Metal Misconduct. It's me, Brian Slagle, hanging out here from Metal Blade Records, and we've got our buddy from NHL.com, Sean Rourke, here as well. Hey, say hi, Sean. How you doing? It's good to be here. <laughs> so um, we're actually hanging out at the NHL Awards today here in beautiful Las Vegas. Well, I don't know how beautiful it is. It's 110, but uh, it's pretty nice. So the uh, Stanley Cup just finished, and we obviously all know the Boston Bruins won it, and Sean was there for every single game. So... I mean, for me as a fan watching at home, I mean, this is one of the best cup finals I've ever seen. I, you know, I think a lot of people will agree. And certainly the ratings show that uh, the, Game 7 was the highest rated NHL broadcast in the U.S. since 1973, with almost 9 million people watching it, which is amazing. I think two-thirds of every Canadian was watching it as well. So uh, it was exciting for, for, for me as a fan at home. So what was it like for you being at all those games and the atmosphere and stuff?
1: Yeah, Brian, it was an amazing experience. Uh, You know, I was able to draw the Boston Bruins for all four rounds. uh, Saw them a seven-game series in the first round against their hated rivals, the Montreal Canadians, and then a quick sweep of Philadelphia in the second round, and then an epic Seven round, seven game series against Tampa Bay, where we got to see you a little bit and had a good time. And then, uh, seven games back and forth across the continent when they played Vancouver, which was an amazing finals. I mean, every game was so good, there were so many plot lines Canada versus the U.S., uh, Canadian Olympians versus U.S. Olympians, the whole thing, close games, blowouts, trash talking back and forth. It was, it was a, a year's worth of games put into seven games and you know that seventh game even though it was four nothing was a great game for for most of it and there was so much tension and and you know Canada just waiting to have another Stanley Cup champion it's been so long for them and it's one of the best finals I've been covering the NHL and I've been covering finals since 94 and it's probably in my top three of all the Stanley Cup finals I've covered because it was just amazing
0: Cool, man. So, um, needless to say, you were in Vancouver for game seven and the uh, aftermath there. Those of you in the States, I'm sure, must have seen and heard about the whole riot thing. I actually ended up watching a lot of it on Canadian TV. Uh, s- scary and fascinating to watch. But you were there, but, uh, you know, I guess you left afterwards. But was there, like, what was happening for you, uh, during that whole time frame? Were you guys, you know, at the venue kind of scared or did it even get resonate that all this stuff was going on outside there?
1: Oh, we definitely, you know, we were watching on TV. We were told early on not to leave, not that we would leave. You know, we're in the arena for two, three hours after the game writing stories and doing video and and all those things. So, you know, by the time we were ready to leave, much of it had petered out. But in the beginning, it was was very scary. It was fascinating to watch on TV. I mean, just the way that it broke out. You know, to me, the most amazing part of that whole story is the aftermath. You know, to me, it seemed like there was a clear professional element to that whole scene when when the game ended and the riots began and then in the days since the city has made up for it you know they people just showed up the next day to help with the cleanup they've identified a lot of the culprits through social media and, and things like that and and what could have been an awful mark for the city of Vancouver has actually been turned around a little bit unfortunately that'll be the memory most people have of game 7 and of that finals is that Vancouver you know rioted when it was over but for the four, the three games before that they had peacefully even more than that in the in the conference finals every time they played home or away Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people congregated on Granville Street and just had a great time. It was a huge hockey celebration. And it was amazing to watch. You were a little, sometimes you were a little put off that they were celebrating after one win, after two wins. It takes four to win anything. So that, but the love they have of the game and of the Canucks, is, it, it's it's unbelievable. It's a great hockey city. It's a great city in general. It's a great music city, as you know. A lot of bands come out of there. You have Bison BC out of there. And, uh, you know, the Rickshaw, I guess, is one of the most famous places and can Canada to see metal shows, so you know it's a great city in so many ways. But it's a fantastic hockey city, and it's the second time I've been there for a big event. I was there for the Olympics as well, and both times you're just blown away by how much passion that city has for the game. So it was a black mark that hopefully is going to be erased by the actions of the fans and and the people of the city in, in the days that follow.
0: Yeah, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the people in Vancouver or Canada in general, I think they'll get a little confused. You're supposed to riot after the teams win. You know, living here in LA, you know, we see that after the aftermath. And But they definitely, I mean, I will say they blew us away in LA. I mean, they're rioting up there. They have way more cars burning and everything else. So, uh, anyway. But yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of sad because it is a beautiful city and, uh, you know, I, I've been up there a lot of times. Obviously, buy some VCs from there. Three inches of blood are friends of mine from up there. Great city, great music city. So hopefully they'll, uh, you know, people will end up forgetting about it. But you know, you never know. So um, there's a bunch of players that are metalheads. We have kind of talked about that before. Obviously, we've had Drew Stafford on the show. Uh, I know Don uh, <clears throat> There's a million guys You were telling me That Tuca Rask Is a big fan no. too So and I know Dan Boyle From the Sharks Is a big metal fan Like In these two finals were there any other Like metal heads That you That you are aware of
1: no, I, you know, I didn't run across many. I, I wanted to talk to Dennis Schneiderberg, see if he was a big Ramstein fan. Um, being from Germany, and Christian Erhoff too, uh, from Vancouver. But uh, you know, uh, I, we did one of the cool things we did with NHL.com uh, is we had uh, we had blogs um, from the backup goalies from both teams: Corey Schneider from Vancouver and Tuka Rask from from the Boston Bruins. And I would I did the Tuka Rask blog. I was his ghostwriter, so to speak. And every day I had to talk to him about what was happening. And, you know, with the team in his own words and, you know, after tough losses and after huge wins. And, you know, so I got to know him pretty well. He, he's a big fan. He says he's going to come on the show at some point. You know, a, a lot of Metallica, a lot of the Finnish music, the the bass music of the Scandinavian metal type of thing. So um, he was a pretty interesting cat and, and just getting that first-hand knowledge of guys. I mean, the, the one thing that nobody understands about a seven-game about a seven game series, you know, it's 17 days of ups and downs. I mean, you look back at that series, the Bruins lost the first two games on the last shot in each game. I mean, it was that close. And they went back home, they were down 2-0. Almost nobody ever wins a series after they're down 2-0. And then they, you know, they blow out the Canucks both games in, in Boston and make it a series again. And, and then they lose, you know, game five. And they're on the brink of elimination and they have to fly all the way back home and again it's a last second shot oh not a last second shot but it's a one nothing game on a fluke goal where it bounces off the backboards and Tim Thomas the goalie isn't in position so you know it just moments that can rip out a guy's heart. And to hear Tuka talk about it and, and kind of walk you through what the team goes through. And, you know, they always say, don't get too high, don't get too low. But then you watch a team live it for 17 days. And it, it was amazing to watch the Bruins actually continually pick themselves up off the mat and, and go back at it. So, uh, you know, and the other thing with all that travel, I mean, we did so much travel, it was like being in a rock and roll ban, you know, you'd, you'd show up or you'd be in town for two days, you'd put on the show, you know, you'd, you'd get your party on afterwards, the next day you were on a flight someplace else, you'd wake were up and... Were
0: you flying commercial or a private jet? Uh,
1: semi, semi-commercial we were, uh, Semi-commercial, we, we, we had a charter, but it was just a, a regular old Delta plane, but it was just uh, it was media, uh, staff personnel, uh, television people It was the only way you could, there were no direct flights between Boston and Vancouver, it was the only way you could get across country in time to get to availability I mean, we would land in Vancouver after game four, say, and go straight to Rogers Arena. You know, you wouldn't know what time it was because of the time difference. You'd slept maybe two hours on the plane. You'd work, and then, you know, your body's completely messed up. You you get a new appreciation of what guys on the road go through, and and they do it for eight or nine months. Like, I I don't know how, when you get to an end of a tour, that, that guys are still able to function because after 17, I went home. I was home for three days before we came to Vegas. I fell asleep once at dinner i was up at three in the morning another day my wife was like you should go back out and when you get back home maybe you'll be on east coast time so it can get pretty messy being on the road like that so i have a new appreciation for bands that tour a lot
0: yeah, well, yeah. Anytime you travel, a lot is like that. Those, you know, most bands, though, if they get to the level of having charter flights, are in good shape. Most of them run those nice tour buses. But yeah, I think you need to decompress for a little while after you do that stuff. So, you know, you mentioned Tuka Rask, obviously a metal guy, and, and of course we know Tony Ludman plays for the Ducks, used to be the Savers, huge metal guy. As you know, Drew Staver was very bummed out that he left Buffalo because he was this his metal brethren. So we we're talking uh, earlier about uh, you know the, the, the whole finals and how amazing it was and you, you wanted to like kind of talk about some players that that, uh, that exhumed the, the even though they may not be metal heads they, their play kind of uh, brought back metal memories or they could probably be, be put in there so give me some of your thoughts on, on who the most metal players were in the we Stanley the Cup the Finals of, final final of 2011.
1: Final well, you know, I think you got to start with the con Smythe winner. I mean, Tim Thomas was so amazing in those finals. He it, Mentally, he's the toughest guy I've ever met. You know, like I, I mentioned earlier, he lost two games, three games on, on one goal, and uh, neither, none of them were, were where he, you know, should have been ashamed of what happened. I mean, the, they were mostly flukes, and, you know, he just kept picking himself up, and he kept coming back, and, you know, it's that whole metal ethic of, you know, when you get knocked down, you get back up, and you do it again, and you do it better. So, so, you know, he was one, and then I, I thought in the playoffs one of the one of the most fun things for me with some of the Newfoundland roots I have, with my wife's family being from Newfoundland, and kind of having an affinity for that. You know, all all the Newfies, so to speak, that were in the playoffs had great runs. Michael Ryder, who was not good this year for the Bruins, was amazing in the playoffs for them. You know, he's that third line presence, scored some key goals for them made the save, of the, se- the save of the season for them in the, in the first round against Montreal kept them alive I mean when you say Michael Ryder in defense those two don't usually go together but you know it's the playoffs and they do whatever they, whatever they can to win and then in San Jose I thought Ryan Clowe before he was hurt was probably the best player uh, for them in, in their entire playoff run and then you had Dan Cleary and, and Detroit and they went out a little earlier than usual but Dan again when the playoffs came was, was just amazing you know and even on the losing side of, uh, of of the Stanley Cup finals. You know, a a guy like Ryan Kessler who, you know, was so good for the Americans in the Olympics a couple of years ago. Basically beat Nashville single-handedly. Got hurt against San Jose in the Western Conference finals. Had a bad groin. You know, he wasn't good in the finals but he never stopped trying. I, I can't even imagine what he went through. I mean, his groin was decimated by the end of it. In the first game, Johnny Boychuk hit him so hard I didn't think he was ever going to get up and he picked himself right up, but he was never the same after that. And, you know, but he just kept coming and coming and, and, you know, those to me are some of the the really metal-type performances that that stood out because, you know, they, they just... You know, there's one trophy that all those guys play for, and that's all that matters, and they'll do anything to win it. I mean, you you saw people doing stuff in in the Stanley Cup playoffs that you couldn't imagine that they would be capable of doing just because they wanted to win that trophy. And I'll tell you what, if you follow NHL.com at all or any hockey publication in the summer... You know watch the party that these guys have with the cup it, it, it's an amazing amazing celebration of of what they've accomplished you know it's already started with the Bruins you know they had the parade there was over a million people there there were more people in that parade than there were for the Red Sox or the Patriots or any of the other teams in, in Boston that have won in the last 10 years and then they went to Fenway Park they had a party there they went to Foxwoods had a party there you know and And now each guy, you know, I don't know for the non-hockey fans out there, one of the most amazing things about the Stanley Cup, the tradition that we have with it is every guy that was on the winning team will get a day with the cup now and they can do whatever they want with it. You know, they bring it home, a lot of them bring it back to their youth rink and let the people in the town get their pictures taken with it college guys bring it back to their college you know anything they can think of to do with it Scott Niedermeyer brought it to the top of Whistler Mountain and had his picture taken there um you know just almost uh, last year Cristobal Huey won it he was the first Frenchman to win it he took it to the top of the Eiffel Tower you know the Stanley Cup has been everywhere and they get it for 24 hours and literally as long as it's not illegal or put the cup in damage uh, potentially put the cup in harm's way The players can do whatever they want for that 24 hour period. And there's some great stories. We just had Mike Bolton here a couple minutes ago. We were talking to him before the show started. He's the keeper of the cup, and he spends all summer bringing the cup from player to player. Everybody thinks it's the greatest job in the world. You should see that guy by the end of the summer. It's a hard, hard job, but it, it it's full of amazing stories, and we'll be covering it all year. Hopefully, I'll get out for a couple of celebrations because they should be fantastic. So those are those are my metal mavens from the uh, 2011 Stanley Cup playoffs.
0: I'll just add Milan Lucic just because he plays like he's a metalhead. So I've got to figure he might be, but maybe not since you haven't told me yet. But I think uh, you know you mentioned the Stanley Cup party, but nothing will ever negate the biggest party of all time that I think has changed the way people party with a cup now, and this is the infamous when the Dallas Stars won, they had a big party at Dime and Vinnie's house in Dallas and uh, a player who I will not name threw the cup out of a second out of the second story window into the pool apparently, made a sizable dent in the cup, which they've had to fix, and ever since then, I think before that, they didn't have those guys out, out with the cup every single time it went anywhere, and uh, if you'd ever been to Diamond Vinny's house, those parties were insane, and this was insane to, like, a gigantic level, because they were both huge hockey fans, and the Stars actually winning, so uh, yeah, that might be the biggest part, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there were some other ones in the 70s that would probably do something crazy, but I, I wish I was there for that one, I remember they were inviting me, They like, gotta come down, you gotta come down, I'm like, oh man, I work or some nonsense was there so it's pretty crazy so that's uh, I think that's why those guys now have to be with it all the time it ruins their entire summer now So
1: yeah it was it was them and it was uh, it was the New York Rangers in 94 when they had won the cup you know it was such a huge celebration they, had, they hadn't won in you know 40 something years and and you know it was a party like none other when they won it. You know, they had the legendary guys on that team, Esa and Mark, Mark Messier, all those guys that had won it. The the cup came back pretty battered after, after that summer. You know, I I know it went to the the horse track once and the horses ate out of it. And, you know, it, it was left behind once by accident. Somebody had to go back and fish it back and, and kind of bring it back to the party. So, um, it came back a little worse from where from that one. So that whole late nineties, I think, uh, was a tough time. And, uh, it, now they have it down to a science. Like I said, as long as you don't put the cup in, in any kind of peril, you know, those guys are pretty good about letting you do whatever you want. It's your cup. You get to do what you want with it for the day. You know, people have had uh, ice cream sundays out of it for their kids, cereal, you know, guys have slept with it. You know, I... I it, the shocking thing to me is the difference in the trophies for every sport. Like, I'm not a basketball fan, but I saw when when Dallas won the cup, uh, not the cup, the whatever they call their <laughs> trophy this year, and, and like it, it's not a possession. Except for Mark Cuban, it was a possession. I saw the pictures of oh, him yeah, flying flying in the plane with it, and then he tweeted that he was sleeping. You won't believe who I'm sleeping with, and it was the, it was the, the NBA trophy. But for for hockey players, this is. possession that they've won and that they keep forever their names are on it they can go back you know 50 years from now and go to the hall of fame and show their grandchildren and say 2011 i won the cup it's mine whenever they see it now you know they'll they'll be able to touch it be able to do whatever they want because that's one of the strangest traditions in, in hockey is if you haven't won the cup You don't touch it. You don't look at it. You walk away when it comes in the room. We've had, you know, we mentioned Scott Niedermeyer before. His brother Rob had never won the cup. Matter of fact, Scott beat Rob that year when he won it with the Devils. And uh, when Scott had his party, Rob didn't go. Like, he stayed in another room. Like, it's the superstitions around that cup are so strong. And it's the only trophy that I can think of in any sport anywhere in the world that has that kind of possession element to it so it's it's really kind of an amazing amazing story how the cup becomes a personal type of experience for each guy that wins it
0: yeah, totally. But uh, and just to wrap up your story, uh, Rob did finally win it with Scott, his brother, when they played in Anaheim in two thousand and seven, which is the only West Coast Cup still since uh, Vancouver didn't didn't make it happen. So, well, yeah, those are amazing stories, obviously. And you know, for those of you guys out there that are big hockey fans, which I know there are a lot of you, it was a, an amazing series. If you missed it, uh, go to NHL Network. They're going to replay these games all summer long, I'm sure, over and over and over again. So, um, we'll wrap it up with all that stuff. Uh, we get some cool. We're going to some really cool guests in the future. We're going to get. to Chris Barnes, who was with me, and we all hung out in Tampa for a couple of the games. Uh, oh, that was an epic, epic night in yeah, Tampa. that was insane. So Chris is a huge hockey fan, a big football fan. Comedian Jim Florent, he's a big sports fan who won an Emmy, actually, for uh, covering sports. So he's going to do the show. Uh, Mark Colombo from the Dallas Cowboys. You know, We, we talked about Tuca Rask. is hopefully going to do it at some point. I uh, talking about Dan Ball. So there are a lot of, lot of cool guys coming up uh, that you'll hear in the, in the upcoming months. So you guys can follow Sean all uh, all year long on NHL.com and obviously get all the messed up from We'll see you guys next month.